working. I guess I'll uh, might as well go ahead and get started here. Um, thanks for stopping by. My name is John Santagate. I'm the Vice President of Robotics at Kerber. Kerber is a global organization that provides end-to-end -end supply chain solutions, everything from simulation products on the front end to direct store delivery on the back end and everything in between. Uh, the organization has recently started a, a business practice around autonomous mobile robots, which I lead. Um, but prior to joining Kerber, I'd spent five years studying the market for this space and doing research on mobile robotics and the impact that they're having um, on industries around the, around the globe uh, as an analyst for IDC. Today, in the spirit of, of Modex, and you know, I think we've seen over the past couple of years a significant increase in the presence of robotic technologies at events like Modex. If you look back you know, four or five, four iterations ago, minimal, right? And the robotics vendors were way in the back. And this year, all these vendors have big booths up front, and their partner vendors are showcasing robotics at, and how they integrate into their technology areas. So clearly, you know, the market has turned a page relative to its position on robotics. So I'm going to walk through some of that here over the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, we'll start with some, an introduction to the market and some trends. You know, what's driving the adoption of robotics? Uh, you know, warehousing and how to find the right fit for warehouse for for your warehouse on a on a small piece that's a much deeper topic that could consume a couple of hours on its own. And then what is what's the value of data as it relates to uh, to robotics in the, today's climate? Uh, but first, real quickly, again talking about uh, the Kerber organization, uh, just to get one little plug in there. We're, we're a company that grew up as a family of brands. Uh, but as of last week, we shifted and we've rebranded to Kerber Supply Chain to bring all of these companies together to really show the market that we are truly an integrated organization that can, you know, while we do thrive in the WMS market with our, with our high jumping and console products, while we do excellent and lead the world uh, in terms of voice technologies, you know, we actually bring it all together and all of these organizations operate in a, in a seamless fashion. But when we go into a customer site and we show five different cards, it's hard to really articulate that point. So we've gone through our rebranding, but we have offices all over the world. Um, the we've got 10,000 employees globally under, under the Kerber banner itself. There's multiple business units. Uh, but Kerber supply chain is where I reside. So I've actually used this slide since the very first presentation I did on robotics in 2015. Uh, because there's a misconception, right? I, I think oftentimes folks think about robots in the context of automation. And while robots are designed for automation, modern robotics are slightly different. You know, if you think about it, I like to use the analogy of scotch and whiskey, right? All scotch is whiskey, but not all whiskey is scotch. When you think about that, you know, all robotics, all robots are automation, but not all automation requires robotics, right? Today's robots are not just relegated to the automotive manufacturing line. Today's robots, as you see, are driving around facilities that they've just mapped autonomously without colliding with people, without, without risk, and helping people to deliver flexibility and scalability into their operation, whereas automation is typically you know, more rigid in its design, expensive, uh, really built around fixed process optimization. And the one thing that really stands out about traditional automation is that you, know, you build your capacity, your capacity into the model which for me, for me means you've got excess capacity on the front end, 
and not enough capacity on the back end, right? And you never fully optimize the, the use of it. You might get great throughput and everything, but as the organization grows, you can only grow to a certain point until you have to start to look at other forms of automation or, or augmenting the performance of traditional automation with other technologies. And that's where we're at today with uh, modern robotics that are flexible, scalable, and intelligent. Now what we've seen over the past several years is uh, a bit of an evolution. And, and I say past several years, I've been, like I said, covering this market for five plus years now. And over that time, we've seen an increase in cognitive capabilities, right? And that applies to voice technology embedded in robots, vision uh, capabilities of robots. Ultimately, a robot's capability to understand its environment with context, right? So a robot that's uh, historically wouldn't have the ability to drive down a, an aisle, identify a pallet, and know that it has to change its path to go around that pallet to continue its motion, and didn't have the ability to communicate that change out to all the other robots that are operating in its facility. That capability exists today. Uh, you may have seen the Sophia robot, that's a, a talking robot that looks like a human, has conversations, it's artificial intelligence enabled, right? That does nothing for a supply chain, but the capability itself does. And so we, we've seen tremendous uptick in the cognitive capabilities of modern robotics. Um, the movement and dexterity has, had historically been a challenge for robots. They were very good at a specific movement, but when you think about the automotive manufacturing process as an example, you know, maybe 60% of it was done by robots, the rest was done by human hands, because robots were not flexible enough to get into certain tight spaces. And we've seen that adapt as well. And it's not just the, you know, the ability to squeeze into a tight space, improvements in end effectors and gripping technology are allowing robots to extend out beyond traditional industrial automation applications and start to become viable in different industry and in industrial uh, environments. And then a third piece here is interaction, right? You know, the, the misconception is that in order to use robots, you've got to have roboticists on staff that can, that can manage the robots, that perform the interaction, that do that interaction either with the physical presence itself or digitally. And the fact is that's not necessarily true today, right? The, the improvements that have occurred over time have created robots that are you know, very uh, gooey interface, where it's point and click or touch screen interface where you can tell a robot what to do. We actually showcased a demonstration at our own user conference last week where we had a robot that was connected to a voice picking system and the voice, the demo voice picker called to the action, called the pick out over the voice, uh, over the voice technology and that call out triggered the robot to execute its delivery of the picked item. So you do voice integrations. It's, it, the, the thing is it's, it doesn't require any more a robotics, robotics brilliance to use this technology, certainly, certainly to develop it, but to be able to use this technology has, has become to the point where baseline, any warehouse employee has the capability to work and interface with these robots. One of our partners, Locus Robotics, as an example, you can get your pickers familiar with your site day one. You know, it doesn't take a week to train people how to use the robots. You show them, here's what the robot's telling you to do, here's the item you need to pick, where it's located, when you see a robot, walk up to that robot, and that robot will tell you exactly what to do on a nice touch screen. And so the, the interaction has evolved from you know, having a very specialized person to one where any one, any one of you in this room, if you go out to Locust Robotics or Six Rivers or Fetch, they'll show you exactly how easy it is to actually interact with their technologies. So it's making it far more useful 
in the warehousing type of environments and many other types of environments. Um, so some trends that are really driving change in this market. First, I like to mention is the focus on the task level, right? People can do anything we really want to do. We can pick up any item. You can pick up this controller, a bottle of water, a box of paper, whatever the case may be. Robots have to be taught what to do. And so there's been a lot of emphasis at identifying use cases and building out solutions around those use cases. Now, that's not to say there aren't vendors there that have more flexible platforms. Again, one of our, one of our partners in Fetch Robotics has a robotic platform that can be configured in many different ways and their go-to-market is, let's, let's figure out what your movement challenges are in your warehouse and we've got a solution for it. Then there's others that have seen really rapid growth that have said, let's look at uh, e-commerce order fulfillment. That market's growing really fast. How can we capitalize on it and build an optimized solution for that environment? Um, one of the challenges you're gonna find, and one of the hard things about this market is that there's a lot of new entrants in this space because the fact is, any one of you can get the components online or at your local Hobby Lobby to build a mobile robot. The technology's out there, it's not incredibly difficult. Um, the problem is, a lot of money has been flowing into this environment, incentivizing people to go and build a robot, some with a digital strategy, others without. It's my belief that those that have a strong digital strategy that don't look at the movement piece as the value, but look at the value of the data that that movement is producing are the ones that will win in this market. And so you will start to see some market attrition. You know, right now there's 50 plus autonomous mobile robot vendors and I think there's probably 30 plus of them that are here. And then some companies that don't make mobile robots that are now making mobile robots. So there, there's a lot of growth in the market. There's money flooding into this market because it is a high growth area. So what are some of those drivers towards what we've termed flexible automation, right? I think if you take a step back and think about what the definition of automation is, the term flexible doesn't reside. And what we're seeing today is the ability to automate processes or steps in processes with mobile robotic technology and robotic arm technologies that now doesn't need to be fixed, right? When we, when we started this conversation, it was what's different between robots and traditional automation, right? And the same thing extends here. You can't pick up a, a conveyance system that you built in one facility and move it to another facility. You can, not very easily, and you probably don't want to, right? You can absolutely pick up a robot and move it from one, uh, the modern state of robots, the, the mobile robots and the piece-picking robots, move them to another part of your facility, change their, change their, uh, their, their uh, processes and have them doing different things, or pick up the entire fleet and move it to a new facility. This technology has become useful in the fact that in, in contrast to traditional automation, it's now a flexible alternative that can scale with the demands of your business. For example, if you had a fleet of robots and you collaborative robots working with your people in the picking process, and let's say you have a peak season and you typically have to ups, upscale by 30 people, you can now do, you can now increase the capacity of your existing uh, labor force without bringing additional people in which has become a challenge uh, in recent years by adding additional robots. And by the way, when you plug them into the system, they already know everything that the other robots do. So it just increases the capacity and productivity of your existing workforce. I'll get to more on that in a moment. But some of the drivers, right? Labor shortages is a significant driver. Every customer that I talk to says, yes, we've got high turnover. It's hard for us to find labor and they're getting more expensive, the ones that we can find. And so companies are turning to how do we 
increase the capabilities of our existing baseline labor, but still be able to increase capacity and scale and speed. Uh, mentioned the need for speed, right? It's incumbent upon all participants in the supply chain today to have more products closer to the customer to be able to deliver faster, right? That's a demand of the market itself. And so uh, modern robotics are enabling that need for speed. The cost is a, is a big consideration, right? The, the typical thought is, man, robots are so expensive, they're so complex, and the fact of the matter is the, the current state of robots, many of the vendors that you see here have developed technology that's far more affordable. So instead of being a value driver for you know, the, the top tier organizations, the Fortune 50, you know, any distribution center can now take advantage of this technology provided it's a fit for their environment. Um, whether or not they're gonna take a CapEx expenditure on a robot that you know, might cost $80,000 to get in place or alternatively, look at robot as a service where you pay a monthly fee for the use of the technology itself and by the way, the company maintains ownership, so they're gonna keep the robot service throughout the life of that agreement. And at the end of three years, you get the latest and greatest and replace your entire fleet with the newest version of robots. And that's important to know because over the last several years, the capabilities of the components have shot up drastically and the cost has come down drastically. Three years ago, during a conversation with the uh, chief financial officer at Fetch, he mentioned to me that the vision system that they had at this time was $15,000 several years ago. Now it's five times better and costs $1,500, right? I think moving forward, what we'll see is not a significant reduction in, in cost, but a significant continuous increase in capabilities because the development cycle of, this, of the robotic technology is closely following the development cycle of autonomous uh, cars. The autonomous car market is big business. They're spending a lot of money to improve vision systems, navigation systems, and technologies that all translates one-to-one -to, -one to the technology that's being used to build the robots that you see throughout the show here. Um, and then the idea of modernization, right? You know, call it digital transformation, call it industry 4.0, call it what you will. You know, there's a lot of technology that exists today that are forcing organizations to rethink their digital strategy. And robotic technology is a digital technology that's connected to the operation that's producing data about your processes that you wouldn't have otherwise. You get no information from a person pushing a cart through the pick process. With a robot doing that, you have a continuous loop of, it, of uh, information about where it's going, why it's going there, when the product's been picked, it's on its cart, it's in the path, how do you optimize that path, and so forth. So just to dig a little bit deeper, um, on the, the, one of the key drivers is unemployment rate. I mean, globally, in the major markets, there's an excess of jobs available compared to the people that are looking for work. Now, layer on to that, that the skill set is not necessarily the same, and you've got a compound problem, right? Worldwide, most supply chain organizations are finding it challenging to bring in the people that they need to do the work that they need to do to service their customers. And if they can't do that, they're gonna lose that work to other suppliers that can do the work, and those suppliers are tending to be more digitally savvy and are looking for ways to automate certain processes. And I'm not suggesting by any means that the idea is to automate people out of the process. We can do as humans so many more things than any robot is capable of doing. The trick is to find the right tool for the right process and give your person the tools that they can use to become more efficient. So I want to just uh, talk a little bit about how we got to where we are relative to mobile robots. So, in 2012, a big acquisition occurred to the tune of over $700 million 
when Amazon acquired Kiva, which was the leading AGV producer for e-commerce order fulfillment. And they said, oh, by the way, all you customers out there, you can't have this anymore. We're going to bring it into, into our four walls and privatize this, this great technology and use it as competitive advantage. And that was foolish. Because what happened, as soon as they did that, you know, companies uh, like the company that founded Locus said, well, we're a user of this. What are we going to do? We have to come up with a solution. So all these companies said, okay, what do we know about the Kiva type system? What do we know about warehousing? And how can we build a better, better mousetrap with what we know? And so you started to see the emergence in 2015 of companies like Locus, like Fetch, like Six River Systems, et cetera, that now have mobile robots that are flexible and scalable, that, decoup that, that are collaborative and allow people to interface directly with the robot and not just sit at a pick location and have work brought to them which by the way is still 50% wasted movement of your material. So at that point in time, it was about market awareness. How do we tell the market this story, that this great technology exists? And that was a story that fortunately I had the opportunity to help tell as an IDC analyst covering the space. In 2017, you really started to see uh, early movers start to try the technology. Right? Big companies like DHL was very vocal about their use of autonomous mobile robots in their warehouses, and they did that for a very specific reason. This technology, being that vocal, is telling customers, hey, we're innovative and we've got this great technology that allows you to serve you better, allows us to serve you better. So proof of concepts really started in 2017, so three years ago. Last year, you start to see early stage movers. So we moved beyond, okay, it works, to let's, let's get this stuff into production. And two years ago, these robots started getting into production, but you started to see them at shows you know, three years ago. And then uh, last year, and we started to see market acceptance and, and growing pains. What I mean by that is uh, from a market acceptance perspective, in about 2018, if I took the biggest and most well-known autonomous mobile robot providers in North America, yeah, had 150 sites combined. Some of you might have more warehouses than that in your own network. This year, under 300, 300 sites have been deployed, but those sites that have been deployed are showing significant value, and the customers that have bought are scaling. So now, what, what's happening as we move into 2020 and beyond, it's about scale. It's about those customers that have adopted moving this technology into new areas, and it's about new customers saying, saying okay, the fast followers saying, these guys are getting value from it, we need to adopt as well. And that's a real significant reason why I chose to go work with Kerber in this capacity, because these companies are facing the same labor shortage that warehousing companies are. The, the labor force doesn't exist to achieve the type of scale that I think is going to happen within this market. I think we're at the very beginning of hockey stick growth, and as that growth occurs, companies like Kerber are positioned to advise on, sell, implement, deploy, support, and provide custom software development for these types of markets. And there are others that are doing that too. There's a big market opportunity because the companies that are making the robotic technology are looking for partners that can deliver that capacity. And so over the next several years, we really will see vertical growth relative to autonomous mobile robots for the warehouse. Um, so looking at you know, why, this is, why this is so important, right? There, there's different approaches to warehousing, right? You've got your traditional um, you know, manual-driven, paper-driven processes where a person's pushing a cart, going up and down every aisle, and walking 10 miles a day. Um, you can scale it, you know, how do you improve in that environment? You throw people at the problem. You keep adding people to meet your capacity. 
Um, but that changes the operating environment, the operating dynamic. It's low cost, right? I mean, you can add people much cheaper than you can add automation technology. It's the most flexible, right? You can add people and, and remove people. The most flexible being, you know, kind of uh, not in line with that low labor rate, but the, in theory, if labor weren't a problem, you can scale most easily in this environment. Um, and there's no infrastructure. You've got your, your racks and, and so forth, but you don't need any high, highly uh, rigid infrastructure. With fixed asset-based automation, it's the complete opposite, right? High velocity, rigid, high cost, little to no flexibility, you know, ability to scale within constraint, overall low availability there. Then you've got your constrained mobile asset-based automation where you've got mobile robots or autonomous guided vehicles that are really goods to man. They're taking the work to a person or a robotic pick face, either way. Um, now they're, they're lower cost than traditional fixed automation, uh, somewhat flexible, right? But they're constrained in that you might have an area the size of this room where the robots can move. If you need to scale, you need to give them more space to scale because your people are not interfacing with these robots except at the pick point. And then the, the latest iteration of this technology is the flexible mobile robot-enabled automation where the robots are designed to work directly with your people in the same space as humans and other pieces of equipment. They're, they're contextually aware of their environment. They can adapt and shift. And in these environments, you know, there, there's a robot-as-a-service cost model, uh, highly flexible. You can scale up and down for peak because the companies, if you're buying it as a service, they're going to model that for you. And they're going to say, all right, when you hit your peak, here's what we think you need to add. You need an additional 12 robots, and we'll give those to you for a one-month or two-month contract, and then we'll take them back out. Um, so the, the idea of flexibility and scalability is really helping to address those needs of, of most warehouses of speed and flexibility to maintain market momentum. So I won't spend too much time here because this is just a different perspective of what I just shared. But this graphic really identifies across key characteristics you know, how these different approaches to warehousing compare. Right? Again, just reading the first column, manual operations is going to be your lowest cost option. Fixed automation is going to be your highest cost and so forth. So if, you, if you're engaging in warehouse design decisions, you know, the paradigm has shifted. It's no longer how we've always done things. It has to be, how would we do it differently if we had all the technology available to, to us today as you go forward? So I think, personally, a lot about supply chain operations could be whiteboarded today, and then you take that whiteboard and craft a plan to improve. Because it used to be, you don't buy the technology, you don't buy technology that fit your process to that technology. You buy the technology that fits your process. But that thinking, this type of robots wasn't available. Artificial intelligence and machine learning wasn't available. Today that technology is, so I actually believe it, it's time for most organizations to rethink how they do what they do if they had the availability of all this wonderful uh, modern technology that we have today. There we go. Um, so to, to recap, uh, I talked a bit about autonomous mobile robots and, and you know what are, what are the, the the value drivers of this technology. And first and foremost, you increase your throughput. You increase capacity and you increase productivity. Right? You get your, your operation to be able to do more with less, ultimately. Uh, flexible automation, the ability to easily adapt an automation strategy because the technology isn't rigid. It's not fixed in place, yet it is automating certain processes. Uh, the scalability piece, I, I, I beat to death here already, talking about uh, scaling for peak, so I won't do too much there. But then work, working, uh, improving working conditions and safety is an element that 
that's overlooked unless you really focus on this space. I actually was with a, um, a distributor of auto parts recently, and the people that spent the most amount of time with me from that organization was the EHS organization, the, the Environment, Health, and Safety organization, because they had a directive to reduce the miles driven by fork trucks. So they, because of accident, because of bumping into racks, because of injuring people, they wanted to reduce the, the amount of fork trucks. So their, their driver to thinking about mobile robotic platforms is improving the, uh, the working conditions. Now, all the other stuff is certainly a benefit too. I just found it surprising that that was the group that really spent an hour with me as opposed to the operations side of the business. There we go. So I mentioned earlier, a lot of players exist in the market and it's growing. This, is, this slide might actually be a bit outdated. There's, there's, more, there's a lot more vendors. This is a bit of an eye chart. But if you look, as I mentioned, the different, um, the different workflows that exist within your environment, there are uh, robotic partners, robotic technologies that particip participate in those workflows. Some are exclusive to the workflow in which they participate. Others have a broad portfolio that allow companies to be uh, more flexible in how they engage with that partner. Th that, same, um, that same robotic vendor might be able to do pallet movements and mobile carts, for example. Others might have a more rigid design and be purpose-built. The trick for most is how do you navigate the complexity of this? How do you find the right partner, the right robotic technology for your environment? You know, you've got to balance capability, design, strategy, digital strategy, and cost. And you know, how do you do that, right? Uh, and I'm not going to get too deep into those weeds, but that, that's a problem that many many organizations are facing because what happened early on, those first movers. They saw one robot vendor and they said, wow, that could really work for us. Let's give it a shot. They piloted it, it worked. We got great results. Let's go deploy it. And many of those instances, another vendor would have actually delivered better benefit than the one that they deployed, right? You get, you get value, but did you get the best value? So I want to shift just briefly here and look at you know, what users of robotic technology have experienced in the marketplace. Um, so, Two years ago, I ran a survey while I was with IDC across several industry verticals that were non-traditional buyers of robotic technology. Retail, hospitality, healthcare, warehousing, logistics, distribution, fulfillment, uh, and even government. And of those that we serviced, there was a, an N, overall N was 500 respondents. Of those, those that have already deployed robots and had uh, identifiable benefits across all of the metrics, Seven, more than 70% of the users indicated double-digit productivity improvements or double-digit KPI improvements. That's where I get excited, right? When I go and see the, the vendors here and you'll, you'll see them, you'll hear them say, yeah, 200% improvement in productivity. And I say, no, don't tell, don't tell anybody that because one of two things is gonna happen. They're gonna expect you to deliver that number or they're gonna be very disappointed or they're gonna hold you to that number, right? If you go in saying double-digit productivity improvements, I don't think there's very many folks in here that wouldn't like to see double-digit productivity improvements in their warehouse, right? Whether that double-digit is 15% improvement, or if you look up, uh, up to the top of the screen here, increasing capacity, 16% of the respondents got greater than 20% uh, improvements relative to capacity. So the, the point is here that this technology is delivering the tangible benefits that customers have been looking for, this is why I believe moving forward we will start to see significance and acceptance in this market. And it's not just mobile robots. I talked a lot about mobile robotic technologies. That's where I spend the most of my time. Uh, but other technologies exist and some of it is bespoke development. Other is 
you know, taking components and making them do something different. Uh, I know at least one of these one of these companies is showcasing here today, Right Hand Robotics, all the way on the left there. You know, their, their system, they developed a, a gripper that's got fingers that are jointed like a human finger that allow it to grasp a variety of products, coupled with a suction cup that will go in. So it's got suction cup gripping and finger-based gripping. Now, their secret sauce isn't actually in the gripping. Their secret sauce is in the artificial intelligence that's embedded in their technology that allows it to catalog every single interaction it has with a piece of material or a product so it starts to learn how to handle things differently and better. Uh, top right, fundamentally different approach. This is a company called Soft Robotics that has a, a very soft gripper. It's not rigid at all. In fact, it operates using air pressure. Like air pressure fills the grippers and the grippers only operate till they need to operate, right? Or fill till they need to fill. Now this product is highly configurable. I've seen it with, with platforms that were out this long and fingers that were this long. They can grab essentially any material that you put in front of it without caring what it is. So the, the vision system and the, and the artificial intelligence piece of it resides only at the operation of the, of the robotic arm itself. There's nothing in the end effector. There's not a single sensor uh, or piece of AI that enables that, uh, that end effector. The grabber can grab anything you put in front of it as long as it fits within the context of, of uh, the constraints of the grabber itself. And then bottom right here is a company uh, called Kindred that's in the business of uh, retail fulfillment. So they built a robotic arm that operates in this circular put wall. And so for batch picking, they do very well in clothing, for example. A batch comes down and the robot just picks all the products and puts them to the wall. Now, the secret sauce there are, is a bit artificial intelligence, right? The cataloging, not quite as, as well as, um, as right hand. But they actually have re remote pilots so that if a robot gets hung up, someone sitting in an another part of the world, then takes control of the robot, shows it what it needs to do, the robot executes, and then the robot learns from that, that, uh, that operation. So quite frankly, if we look at the market itself, the AMR market is set for scaling growth. We're a little bit behind that sort of uh, market acceptance for uh, robotic piece picking. You need to see as close to Six Sigma reliability as you can get, and they're working towards that. They're not there yet, but they absolutely, in certain environments, are showing uh, tremendous value for the customers that have been early adopters. Um, now, a piece that, that I always think, I mentioned this earlier, is more important than moving a product from A to B. I think that's a commoditized feature today. As I said, anyone in this room could go out and get all the components and put together a mobile robot, except me, I can't build anything, but I bet some of you can. Um, it's the data. It's how do you interface with the business systems? How do you capture operational information that never existed before and how do you turn that new sources of data into value for the operation, right? And, and companies need to be thinking about that. The robot vendors are doing some of it, right? They have data-driven platform, data-driven uh, dashboards that show you more about your pick process than you ever had before. Um, but can you automate the data flows? Can you automate the data coming from the operation up into the ERP and how do you optimize that? And what sort of value can you get from that? So it's really about looking beyond the automated element and looking at how the information that you're creating through that automated element can be more beneficial for your organization. So as an example, um, you know, today's environments look, you know, don't look like this, it's just a cartoon drawing, but you've got disconnected workflows that happen with disconnected assets. They might be driven, like the workflows might be driven by one, uh, by one WMS, they might be driven by completely different um, uh, software products that tell the, the uh, operational environment what to do. 
right? So you might have a disconnection between piece picking and put away and pack out and you know, break bulk and all of these different workflows that, that today exist. And so you've got a one-to-one -one relationship in most cases between your operational equipment and the directive software, right? And that, that doesn't just mean robots, right? That, that means voice systems, that means pallet trucks, that means any sort of IoT connected asset that's helping you execute to the processes in your warehouse. So that, that's the current state, like what's the vision? What if, we, what if there were a middleware that instead of having a one-to-one -one connection between all of these different processes and assets, there was a one-to-one -one connection to those assets to a middleware that then had a one-to-one -one connection to the WMS, as an example, right? Is there more value in that? I, I certainly think so. Because what I, what I believe and where I believe we are going is that this connected warehouse layer will then allow an organization to optimize the distribution of work across all of those processes as opposed to optimizing each in a silo, or maximizing, I should say. Because what you do with a siloed operation is you maximize the value of the process, but you don't optimize the end-to-end. -end. And that can't happen when things are disconnected. You can optimize in a, in a streak, or, or you can maximize in a streak, or you can optimize across the, the entire state. And I do believe we'll get there. That's, that's something that uh, companies are working on. Some companies that I know very well might be working on, but there's a lot of innovation that is occurring in this space to allow an organization to more easily deploy this technology, but more importantly, more easily take value out of the data that's being created. Uh, so in this sort of environment, what are, you, what are you looking for? A common data platform, right? All of these connected assets, there's no standardization. There's no standards that set how they can talk. So they all talk differently. Uh, so there's value in the ability to take these, these different languages and, and make them talk the same language. Uh, you know, cross-process optimization, as I mentioned, a single point of, of relationship to the WMS or WCS, I think is cool in this environment. As more and more types of connected assets emerge, I think that's a significant point of opportunity. Um, and then, again, a deeper level of analytical capabilities. Because when you're optimize, uh, maximizing in silos, the data is related to that silo. But what does that data mean when you start to look across the operation? That's what I mean when I say you can maximize in silos or optimize end to end. Because if you start to realize that if I de-maximize in this space, but it optimizes the entire workflow, the end to end process, wouldn't you want to do that? There we go. Um, so as, as I'm coming to the end of my time here, I want to just uh, you know, express why Kerber decided to get into this space. So we're, we're in the business now of advising on selling, distributing, integrating autonomous mobile robots for the warehouse. The, the first driver for us was our customer. We did a survey last year in which 74% of our customers surveyed indicated that they have plans over the next five years to deploy autonomous material handling equipment. So our customers are demanding it, and those are our customers. Don't we want to be there to help our customers with their technology decisions? Technology alignment is a key, is a key played a key factor here, right? The autonomous mobile robot technologies are being deployed into our environments where, we're, where we already have a presence and it's being connected to our WMS systems as an example. So there's, and beyond that, right, when you think about the end-to-end -end approach that Kerber has, this is technology that is highly relevant to our customers. So we wanna, again, bring this technology in and figure out how do we not just deliver this technology, how do we build above the line and continue to innovate and from a software perspective, which we do very well, how do we add value? And then the final piece is the market. And that's not just market growth. This is a, this is a point of data 
where um, the, the market's expected to be $23 billion by 2023. That represents a greater than 20% compound annual growth over the next five years. Um, but it's also the other macro factors that I talked about earlier, labor deficiencies, increasing wage rates, gosh, coronavirus and the risk of pandemics shutting down operations. There's a lot of things that are, that are impacting the market today that make this a very appealing business for, uh, for Kerber to be in. Most importantly, is our approach to delivering supply chain capabilities with an end-to-end -end perspective so that we can supply every aspect in the link for our customers. So what are some key takeaways you can take today? You know, first and foremost is that robotic technology is enabling material handling operations to automate low-value tasks. And that, that last piece, I think, is important. Pushing a cart can be incredibly mundane, tiresome, boring, whatever, pick your, pick your uh, acronym. Um, so if you can automate that away, you uplift, you can uplift your people, you know, get them doing the things that people are more equipped to do, more dexterous tasks like picking things from shelves that robots aren't very capable of today. Some can do it, others not so much. Um, no, one of the most important things is remember the tool, robots are tools, they're not replacements, right? You wouldn't go build a house today with a hammer and a screwdriver, right? You'd use a, you'd use a nail gun, you use drills, you use power tools. They're tools that uplift and augment the capabilities of your people. And when more organizations start to realize that and think of robots as a tool in the tool belt as opposed to a replacement for our labor, it'll be a better circumstance for everybody involved. Um, it's, it, it's certainly possible to start small, build experience, and scale. As I mentioned, these um, autonomous mobile robots, as the example, you can deploy in a small part of the facility, start to understand and look for new areas of your operation where that technology can add value. And then finally here, you know, new delivery models such as robot as a service, you know, they're increasing the availability of this technology in the market. It, it's no longer only the big boys get to play with the cool technology, right? They, they got big budgets, they can, they can spend on this stuff. But you know, the, the distribution center in you know, middle of Wyoming with three facilities that doesn't have big budgets, that can't take a facility off, off, uh, offline to do a, a technology deployment, and can't build a greenfield, this technology allows them to deploy automation capabilities that are making them more competitive in the marketplace and thus adding value to the overall industry. So with that, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, I've got about seven minutes for questions if, uh, if any of you wanted to talk a bit further. Questions going once?